Good evening. You guys ready to study the Bible? <laughs> yes, right. Hey, as uh, everybody uh, noted that there is banana bread there, and it is really good. Uh, thank you, Janice. Excellent stuff. A gift to us. Since we're speaking on gifts, Ephesians 4, we all have been gifted. We've been graced by God. And uh, to each one of us, it said in verse 7. But we get into a different section at uh, verse 11, and he talks about uh, in the church, there are certain gifts uh, that are given by Christ uh, that the church is graced with, and Christ gives officers. So in verse 11, we see apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And um, those particular offices or gifts, uh, those gifts of the church, they're actually people that he has uh, charged to equip the saints. And so they're to give uh, the very Word of God to uh, the people so they can be built up. So no one can say, I have uh, no need of uh these apostles, I have no need of the prophets, I have no need of evangelists or pastors and teachers. Um, the thing is, is we all have a measure of grace, according to verse 7, but we all need something else because we are incomplete. The body needs a lot of work, the body of Christ. And, and we'll see why I say that uh, when we get to verse 12. Um, because it, it needs to be equipped and needs to be edified. It, uh, it hasn't arrived yet. Working on it. So, I guess you could say, you need the church, and the church needs you. <coughs> Works both ways. Before we uh, get started, when we have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for this evening, and thank You for uh, Your very, very special word that uh, You have for us, and uh, passages that we've read and studied probably read over many, many times, but we know each time that we get into uh, Your truth, uh, there are certain things that just uh, pop open to us that never have before, and we always look for that joy of um, what You have for us, and that we can learn better what the church is about, and uh, how You have made it to uh, operate the way that it does until it finally comes to its full completion. And uh, we wait for that day. In the meantime, we want to know more uh, how we are to operate in this body. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we looked at the apostles last week, and we looked at the prophets, and um, they were given the Word of God. They were given revelation. It was for the edification of the people. They were hearing things that they had never heard before. And, uh, of course, it... uh, correlates with Old Testament truth, but they're given new revelation. And so they wrote that down and uh, and gave it to the people orally. Uh, as the church met in like an Acts 2, we, you know, they sat around the apostles' teaching. So, anyway, when we get into this third one um, this week, evangelist, we get into um, another gift that God has given so that the church would be built up And there's a lot of debate on whether this is a temporary office or a permanent office. And uh, it's kind of difficult whenever you get to the completion of it. What what is it for? Is it is it it's definitely meant for today because it's talking about evangelism. But are we talking about an office that was done 
uh, in the sense the way that the apostles were. So you have different uh, ideas on this from different writers, different commentators. Um, taking from Martin Lloyd-Jones, his view is is that the evangelists were for the time of the apostolic age and um, they were something like the apostles, only a little less. John Calvin said the same thing. He said they, they had a rank that was underneath the apostles and that they were an auxiliary to them, kind of a, an add-on to help them out. Um, so, and Matthew Henry. Um, those individuals would say they were meant for a limited time only. Uh, you read some other people, um, James Montgomery Boyce. I'm just giving you some of the commentaries that I read. Um, he would say that uh, the evangelism is for today. Uh, all the above would have said apostles and prophets were for that time period. Can God um, work through people today to give us uh, what God is saying? That's already in His Word. Well, obviously, but to give new revelation, we don't have an extension onto the Word of God. But evangelism, evangel- uh, uh, the evangelist, it's kind of a little bit little bit trickier to um i think to interpret um, i think uh, yeah macarthur also said that uh, there are evangelists today in the way that there was there they're specially gifted ones uh some people are particularly effective uh in bringing out the gospel uh, the truth of christ and a lot of times it's the way that we think of evangelism today or an evangelist what do you think of in this modern time that we live in when you hear the word evangelist? Or who do you think of? Who's the first one? Billy Graham, right? Luis Palau, right? I mean, people that, that God has used. Uh, but we tend to think of that. Even Billy Graham says that it was actually, it's a word that, that um, many people, especially laymen, uh, are uh, evangelists. People that are never ever heard of by anybody. And um, he said they're more of an evangelist than he would be considered to be. Uh, so you get different uh, elements and different ideas from different people, but uh, I definitely don't think it's referring to the guy that has ten suits and ten messages and he goes on a road show. You know, he does his evangelism thing and that's all he does in preaching those ten messages. And there have been those that have done that. But um, we know this for sure. New Testament evangelists were church planters. They helped start churches where they hadn't been before. They were missionaries. They took the gospel out to people that had never heard it. Uh, they were something like the apostles, only didn't, they didn't have that high of an office. They went where Christ had not been preached, and they proclaimed the gospel. Uh, they preached and taught, built people up, and they were able to do it in a way that... Um, they were gifted more than other Christians. All Christians should be giving out the good news. We all should be evangelists in in that sense. There's no doubt about that. We we were commanded. But then there are some that have a special gift to do it. So the the Greek word, it it simply means proclaim the good news. Euangelists, good news. And uh, that's what they they do. But um, So I, I think we can say at least be safe with this. It's a special ability. It's a special um, power, ability, gift to make known the gospel in a way that people can really understand. Uh, some people have a really a special way of bringing it out um, with with different people and are able to meet uh, right with them as far as the language is concerned. 
They did, in the early church, the evangelist evidently had a very close association with the apostles. Uh, so if we take it back to that office period at that time, they definitely had these abilities. They explained the gospel. They were right underneath those apostles. Whenever the apostles would be there, let's say Paul would start a church, evangelists, an evangelist might come right in. And then as Paul left, he would come in and then continue to build upon that foundation that had already been laid uh, or established. And he would expound the truth a little bit more and continue to give that good news out to people as they would uh, come into the church. So they were kind of a, a supplement of the work of what the apostle did. And so that's why uh, there's one reason why that some would say this office was for the apostolic age. Um, to me, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I think definitely evangelism is for today and we need to get the gospel out. Uh, if, if we're just talking about the office and the way that it was done in that sense uh, with with the apostle, I guess um, like most of the seem like most of the Puritans and the uh, older older reformer guys would say that um, that time period is done. Uh, the fact is, though, they would all say that we are to proclaim the gospel, and there are certain men in every church that have maybe a special more of a special gift than other people do. We, we need those kind of people that have a heart for evangelism. So I don't want to take away the idea of this evangelism. Um, let's look at a, a couple of guys that were called evangelists or something of that nature. Acts 21.8 And in uh, 21, you have... Um, some warnings here that are given. That's kind of the context of this section. Um, They have a voyage. There's a journey they're on. It says in verse 8, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. he He was a deacon, right? But we also see that he is an evangelist. And you will remember, if you go back early into Acts, what was he known for? Philip and the Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch. Remember giving the gospel there? And Isaiah, he actually explained the good news out of the book of Isaiah. And so there's uh, one that we know right there off the bat, who is considered to be uh, the evangelist. He had that office. As we know, all the Christians should be giving the good news, but he had a particular uh, gift here that the, that the early church needed. Um, there's uh, another one where it's, that word is mentioned, and it's in Second uh, Timothy. It actually happens to be Timothy himself. And Paul writes to him, and he says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. We've heard that. So it's like he's doing... I don't know, is he calling him an evangelist there? He says, well, do the work of an evangelist. It sounds like he is an evangelist. Or whatever evangelist did, you do what they did. <laughs> it sounds like he was one too. Uh, Timothy would be, fulfill your ministry. So we don't have a lot to draw from here on that. It, it was definitely something that people would recognize certain people w- were considered to be in that office, evangelists. So the 
Yeah, they kind of a... Yeah, and and also uh feeding them too. Yeah, yeah, uh and uh, or they would maybe plant a church, go in there, get it started, give them some food, you know, bring the good news to the lost, let them grow up a little bit, and they'd move on. They would get churches set up and 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 move on uh to another place and pl- uh, plant them. And that reminds me of the the visitor that Janice and Eldon had last week. And he's called a bishop uh, because he's he oversees all the churches. But he's more than a bishop; he he's a church planter. And I think you could almost call him an evangelist in the sense that he's setting up churches, bringing the gospel. Would could, would you consider him something in that nature? I don't know whether he'd call himself an evangelist. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but he's giving the maybe not that office, but that's what he does. Yeah. So he and so he kind of keeps some of them fed up. He oversees a particular area, and, and then he had, he's over all of them. But at the same time, um, uh, get, a lot of things. Once they get a church started, uh, they have people that they're training all the time. They leave somebody there then as a pastor of that church uh, under their oversight, and then they move on somewhere else. So. That's not too unlike what they they're hitting in areas where they've never had the gospel, right? So that's very close to what was happening here in New Testament times. That's that's fascinating. Uh, where people are going, where it, it, it's totally fresh, totally new, and these people are are eating it up. They're hearing good news because they know they need good news. So it's it's fascinating. Church they they don't have enough people doing that. It's from what it sounded like. They need probably more to go out there and start those. He's been working at it for forty five years and has started over three hundred churches. It's incredible, isn't it? That's definitely work of the Lord. Exciting. Boy, I wish people were that hungry around here. Well, we've heard too much already. Yeah. That's our that's right. It is. They they think they already got it known. Yeah. Like I say, they've they've had too much. But then when you hear it from other places and you go, Oh, that's good. That's refreshing. You know, boy, it's encouraging. Saying, oh, you know, said that his people are very simple. I asked him one time what was the difference between his the churches there and the churches here after he come several times and he said we're very simple people we do not have your sophistication that you have they they hear the word of God and they believe it and you just have to help them grow that's interesting yeah some diverse a little bit every day of the week in the town where their church is Nakuru they have an evangelistic meeting, they call it, during the noon hour in the town square. And this is people come to town from all these outlying districts, and they gather at the town square during the noon hour for lunch, for fellowship, sit down and gossip with each other and everything. And for years, seven days a week, 
they've held an evangelistic, I would call it, meeting in the town square. They brought thousands into the kingdom. And people come to these. What would happen if you did that here? They don't come particularly for that. They just come as a area where they gather for fellowship as families and coming into town. But they hear the gospel. People just walking on the street and they see what's happening or what? Yeah. Well, you do that here and nobody would show up. No. You just bypass you on the other side of the street. That's right. You know, on, on Facebook, there are all sorts of these guys... You know what I'm talking about there, Bob? Uh, they're street preachers. Yeah. And you see their pictures when you, when you see them on there. <laughs> it kind of looks scary. They're all big. Have you noticed that? They usually have pretty good-sized beards, and they've got these baseball caps, and they have a sign on them, and a meg- megaphone. Yeah, kind of freaky. Yeah, it's like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah. I was on about the 17th floor of a hotel in New York here numbers of years ago. And there was a guy down on the street preached all night long. You could hear him. I don't know if he had anybody listening or not, but I could hear him. You were listening. I was listening. Was he yelling pretty loud? Oh, yeah, it was loud. George Whitfield was an open-air preacher. Wesley, um, Spurgeon talked big about uh, open-air preaching. I don't know if he did much himself, but... uh, Yeah, here... Uh, makes you wonder. You can imagine, if you want to get some persecution and some insults at you, just uh, go out on a street corner and start preaching the gospel. <laughs> you could probably get it pretty quick. Might get arrested. Well, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. They'll be up. <laughs> Uh, God is an evangelist. <laughs> he is the supreme evangelist. Matter of fact, God is the gospel. Uh, he is the gospel. Look at Galatians three eight, and then you'll see uh, that God preached the gospel. Here, speaking of God, in uh, Galatians three eight, it's it's that word. Um, speaking of euangelizomai, uh, preaching the gospel. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, and, all you, and you all the nations shall be blessed. Then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. He preached the gospel to Abraham. Now in the Greek, preach and gospel is all together but that euangelizo, which is that um, common root word there, good news, and then the word uh, pro, pra, pra euangelizo, uh, to speak before or to, to speak forth the good news. God did that to Abraham. Now Jesus was an evangelist too, and so we look back in Luke chapter twenty, verse one. Now it happened on one of those days as He, Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. And that's that same word that we saw in Galatians and it's all connected with this uh, evangelism, preaching the gospel. He, he evangelized them there in the temple. 
And that's that's Jesus giving giving good news, giving out the, the gospel. Then you look back in uh, Acts chapter eight, just the uh, same word that's used many times in the New Testament. We see how it's used by different people, so it keeps occurring. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now this is when Saul was persecuting the church. Saul before he's Paul. And because of that, all the havoc that he was making and going from house to house and going in them and dragging off men and women and bringing them to prison, everybody scattered all over the area. And what they do when they scattered? Preach the gospel. It was a good thing that they had persecution. Because <laughs> they, they were forced to bring the gospel out. And that's at the time then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Uh, so anyway, that's that same word, preaching the word, euangelizo, that, uh, that we saw on other occasions there. So evangelists are designed, they're given to the church to reach the lost, to, to the gospel. Every church needs these special... Yes, we, we all should be doing it, but there are certain people who have uh, just a drive... To, to always be speaking Christ to people on the good news, giving tracts out, you name it. They have different things that they just they do. They just want to do that. So, that's evangelist. How about this next one? What's yeah. that? Oh, Bob, couple sorry. Of, a couple of uh, other references here. Just for interesting mention. Uh, Luke 2, verse 8. Following there, the shepherds. Ah, good. Angels. That's that's right. Yeah, read it. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped, and so on and so on. And, uh, and then there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest." You know, I always enjoyed watching that one Charlie Brown Christmas yeah, Charlie Brown special Brown because Linus gives this very huh. scriptures here of the uh, shepherds and the angels. It's really cool. And then. Um, that was that one, and then well, the the good the good news or the good tidings we've heard a good tidings yeah. so often. That's that's the UN Galizzo there. Is it? Yeah. Uh huh. Now in Revelation fourteen six, is that the angel? Uh huh. actually there there is a time uh-huh. that, that you have an angel giving that out. God is uh, still working with gospel in this time here. Under the messages of the three angels in my text here, it says, "Then I saw another. Excuse me. I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth and to every nation and tribe and language and people, so the whole earth. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the spring of water.' So in your verse six. Having the my mindset everlasting, I think you said eternal, right? Gospel, and that's there again is that you uh, and it's and it's connected with preach. So 
So when you see good news, um, it's it's connected with preaching, also proclaiming it. Very much so. Yeah, those are those are very good ones. They're not humans, you know, but still. That's a that's a different occasion, isn't it? Yeah, certainly an angel. Well, the pastor teacher, uh, pastor. It says pastors and teachers, and most people will give this to the fact this is basically uh, one office. Not that there aren't teachers, and there are, and, and it's not anything to be real have to be dogmatic about. But um, a pastor definitely has to be able to teach. I mean, you have a pastor who can't teach, and he's not a pastor. I mean, it just it doesn't go together. But this does go together because if if you're a pastor, you you teach. Now, not all teachers are pastors, and there are there is that gift. But the reason that they say this is usually one, or most of them will say this is one category here. They're linked together. The word there is and uh, in the Greek, it's chi, and it means that is okay or in particular. Like some evangelists and some pastors or particular teachers, or uh, that is, and, and some pastors that is teachers, and, and it can be read that way. It doesn't have to be. Don't want to force force it, but I think most of your commentators will will say pastors slash teachers, uh, and I don't think there's anything that would be even <coughs> arguable about it. It, it just pastors have to be able to explain to um, to explain the passages, uh, and there's a picture of a, of a shepherd here. When you uh, see this pastor teacher, the the word for pastor is poimen, which does mean shepherd. Uh, so the, the shepherd shepherds the flock, and he keeps the sheep, the flock in order. He directs them where they're to eat. Right, a shepherd will. Uh, then bring the, the lost sheep back to the fold. Or if they've been heading off in the wrong direction, he looks after them. He he guards them. He has charge over their souls. He's a guardian. He's a custodian. He's a protector. He's an organizer. He's a director. He's a ruler over the flock. And so that would be the idea of this uh, pastor teacher. If you look in First Timothy, and that's one of the best books to go find out what. Uh, the qualifications are for a pastor and some of the things that he is to be doing. Uh, your first and second Timothy and Titus pastoral letters. In uh, First Timothy five seventeen, you have two functions here of a pastor, and you'll notice it calls him an elder here, and we'll explain that in a little bit. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Uh, two functions, and we're calling this pastor and elder, and, and if you're wondering why I'm doing that, we'll see. But this elder, what does he do? He rules. He's a ruling elder, but he also is to be doing what else? Laboring in the word and doctrine, teaching. Teaching and preaching. The word there for word is logos, and doctrine is didaskalos, which is teaching. So it's talking about the Word of God and being able to um, to bring that forth in a, in a teaching way. So that, that defines a teaching elder. Okay, how, how do these words relate? We're going to take three words. Poiman, which is pastor. We're going to take 
elder, uh, which would be presbyteros, and we're going to take a bishop or episkopos and see if they are the same office, the same kind of, um, uh, like when you say pastor, does it mean elder? Uh, does it mean bishop? And when you look at all these passages, it I think it'll kind of help us. Um, if you're a Greek person and you're hearing the word episkopos, you go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. And you remember that this is written in Greek and and a lot of people in Ephesus, for instance, are Greek. And uh, so Paul uses uh, a word a lot. And in uh, in this case here, though, it's pastor. It's pointed. But if you use episkopos, it's equal to the elders of the Jews. And when you think of elder, you think of an older person, a mature person, somebody who uh, is strong, strong in the faith. Uh, he's, a, he's a leader and he's been around a while. Um, well, the way they took what was equal to an elder to the Jewish person was the overseer or episkopos. Um, episkopos in our English is the word bishop. Now, bishops were appointed by emperors, and they were called bishops or overseers, to govern these newfound city-states. And they would be overseers. So a lot of times you'll run into this word episkopos. He was delegated to regulate the affairs in this new city that they would, they would have. So to the Greek, they go, oh, episkopos, overseer to us. Um, that's that's how they identify that somebody that would oversee uh, all of the affairs in the city, and as time went on, you'll see that that word is used a lot, especially to the Greek person. So they would use the word what we're familiar with as bishop uh, in our translations, English or episkopos in the Greek. And of course, we know what church came from the episkopos, Episcopalians, right? And so, you, therefore, you have bishops there. Another word is presbyteros, which you get the denomination from there, Presbyterian. And so they use the word elders uh, for the most part. And then you'll have other people use the word uh, pastor, which means shepherd or appointment. Look in First Peter 2.25 and we'll see that word episkopos for a moment. Matter of fact, you'll see another word there too that is... Uh, Pastor, for you were like sheep going astray. Sheep have to have a leader. Who's the leader? He's the shepherd, right? So the next one is this. But have now returned to the shepherd or poyman and overseer or bishop or episcopos of your souls. Now that's Christ. And so there we see two words Right there, that would be associated with uh, the words for for pastor. You have pastor and bishop, or shepherd and overseer. Do your translations say the same as mine? There, shepherd, overseer, guardian. Guardian. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember that one. That's for shepherd, right? Or is that overseer? Shepherd and guardian. Shepherd and guardian. So guardian is overseer, the guardian. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. To the Greek person, they they had the guardian of the city which was, again, that, that overseer. Yeah. Uh, so there, Jesus is considered to be our pastor and uh, our shepherd, or 
He's our overseer. He's the great shepherd, isn't he? He's the good shepherd, he's the chief shepherd, and he's the great shepherd. We see three different times he's called a shepherd to us. He is the pastor. matter of fact, Peter, uh, in chapter 5, it talks about Christ being the the shepherd, uh, the chief shepherd in verse 4. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. He's called what? The chief shepherd there, right? Or the, uh, no. The Lord is my shepherd. <coughs> uh, Psalm 23. That would be like the good shepherd, wouldn't it? And there's a chief shepherd, good shepherd. There's, another, there's a great shepherd passage. So he, he's the one overall anyway. He's the head of the church. Um, let's go to First Timothy. Now, Paul, in writing to Timothy, giving the qualifications, is going to use the word bishop here. These are the qualifications of a bishop, or what's a bishop also known as the overseer. So he says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, then he desires a good work. And then he gives those qualifications all the way on down here and his family life and and such. But we see there Paul uses episkopos. And you can say, okay, is this a different office or what? What's going on? Then we go over to Titus now, another pastoral letter. And in Titus 1, verse 5, he gives qualifications for uh, this office. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. That sounds like our Ephesians section. And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And then he starts off. If a man is blameless, husband of one wife, having faithful children, on and down. Then you move down to verse 7, staying in that same context. He says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. He's talking about this same office as he continues on down here and he calls him uh, in verse 5 what? An elder or a presbyteros? And then he calls him a bishop which means overseer or what? Episcopos. And so he's interchanging these words and all throughout Paul will, will do that in the uh, in the pastoral letters or you'll see it uh, for instance when, when Peter mentions it. Um, but the qualifications uh, in, in um, Titus, you get what? What words? Elder and bishop. And in Timothy, we got what? As in chapter 3, there was bishop there, wasn't it? Right? So he's been calling those two terms. Go to... Let's go to First Peter chapter 2. Did we read that one earlier? 225? We did, didn't we? Okay. Uh, those are, And there we have what? Pastor and bishop. Now, go to chapter 5, and in two verses you'll see all three terms mentioned there. Verse 1. The elders, and that word is presbyteros, right? Who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Then he tells them to do what? The elders are to shepherd, and that word is poimen, shepherd or pastor, the flock of God which is among you, serving as 
overseers or episcopos or bishops. So now he's taken these um, the same office, and we've seen all three terms in just two verses. There, as Peter says, "Okay, um, uh, I'm an elder, and I'm talking to you as elders. And here's what you do. Here's your action. You shepherd that flock of God, and you also watch over them to oversee that." Now, down through history, and you'll hear that word bishop, and they might oversee a bunch of churches. You know, they can still be considered a pastor. They started it. Matter of fact, they're a pastor of a lot of churches, but they're overseeing a whole area. And that's where um, uh, Janice and Eldon's friend, that's what he does. He oversees a whole bunch of churches. I don't know how many he has. I know he's started over 400 or 300, but at the same time, he still is responsible for, how many was it? I forgot, that he immediately well, stays he in. His team are still overseeing all of those, I think. Yeah, all, all of them. And of course, he has other people to go to. There's no way you can cover that many. Yeah. But he, he is still, even even at that, even when he starts up churches, he's still pastoring too. So you can see how that term can definitely interchange. An overseer definitely fits our English language. He's still he's a pastor, so he's a shepherd. So he's still that same one. But we don't we may not necessarily all think that way. But uh, you know when you think of uh, a lot of churches won't call their church or their their leader, let's say an elder, they will call them pastors. The elders are something that is something different, or or deacons will be something different, and and actually the deacons turn out to be what the elders are. They're ruling, they're making the decisions. But there's sometimes it's misnomers, I think, and I don't get all hung up about it. But um, I think just looking at how Paul was was terming this was that this individual here he does these. This is his, this are his, I guess you can say his action words. Go to Acts twenty. Seventeen, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. There's your presbyteros. Now jump on down to verse 28. He's getting these guys together. He's going to meet them. They are the rulers, the, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He didn't get with the whole church. He didn't have time. He was going to be moving on. He just met them there, kind of like by the sea. Uh I think that's what's happening. He's exhorting them. Then you get down to verse 28, and he says, Therefore, as he's speaking to the elders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So there we have pastor, we have elder, and we have bishop in the sense of, okay, they're, they're elders, but they oversee, they shepherd. So those terms are all just uh, interchanged there. If you looked at the Greek words, that you have poimen, episkopos, and presbyteros. I think it's kind of interesting. I've got the King James Version here, but in this 
last verse and in a, an earlier one, I can't remember now, where you said, shepherd the flock. Mine just says, feed. Which I wouldn't have thought would be a, maybe it's not a good translation. But That's not too bad. Feed. Shepherd takes in more things than just feeding, but the best thing that a pastor can do is to feed the flock. But if you look in the Greek word, yeah, that's that'll, you'll get the word poimen, which is a little more, I guess, more accurate, but in the English. So, but that's what definitely a, sh- a shepherd will do. He will take them to the place where they, they eat. That's the biggest thing that they they do. But, yeah. That's what Jesus commanded Peter to do when he restored him. Feed, feed my sheep. Yeah. I think it might be. I wished I had um, somebody look up real quick here. I I I think it is. Uh, what? Well, I mean, is it poimen there in the Greek? I had an interlinear. I don't know. Zach might be able to look it up for me here. What? Give me the exact verse, please. That was in John 21, where Peter keeps saying, "But, but, but, no, I like you. you know, feed my sheep." <laughs> no. Yeah. And you'll have you'll probably have feed there. Until we get to the Greek text, oh, yeah, he though. Said, he said, uh, yeah, feed my lambs. And then he says, uh, tend my sheep. And then he says, feed my sheep. So, uh, it'd be interesting if it's the same the same Greek word for all of them, or if it's a little different nuance. And, uh, and, and in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, Peter identifies himself as being uh, one of them, uh, a shepherd. <laughs> oh, you could take their heads and take them down. <laughs> I'm sure the chief shepherd probably is uh, wondering why aren't you guys eating? <laughs> yeah, we well, like that. Seems like that's all you see sheep ever doing. You know, the animals, sheep. Is- Eating, right? So that's a good, good analogy, perfect analogy, because that's. I think all of God's people hunger for God's word. Yeah. They wander off just because the grass is in front of them. That's why the shepherd has to go get them. Yeah. Or the wolf. Yeah, one or the other. So the role of a a pastor teacher then is. He's a, he's a caretaker of the church. He's going to take in all those things, not only feeding, but every everything that's uh, is involved there. His duties would be that he oversees all the affairs of the the local church. I don't know. Did we look up? Uh, did we do the First Timothy ch- chapter five, verse seventeen? I think we did that, right? Um, how about First Thessalonians? That's a little different. First Thessalonians five. Uh, let's see what's happening here. First Thess five twelve. 
And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor, that's a key word, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He says recognize those. I mean, take take note that uh, here's what, uh, what they're doing and uh, esteem them. Okay, because they're giving you God's Word. They labor. We saw before how how they labored. They labored in the Word and doctrine. By the way, today sometimes you see a, a majority rule in the churches, and it's it's that means it's it's not an elder rule. And I favor an elder rule in, in the sense those are spiritual leaders. They make the big decision of the church. What about other things? The, all the people in the church are part of the church, and they they should help the uh, you know the elders and each each using their gifts and doing what they're doing. If they have an idea, you know, to, to put that, but they're not the if they're not ruling elders, they don't make those um, big uh, spiritual decisions that the church has to do. Uh, but I don't think every little thing has to be decided by the elders, like how many rolls of toilet paper we need to get, or what, you know, what the carpet is going to be, or you know, you know, people take take that they have to have a meeting in the Baptist churches that I came through had to have a meeting for everything that they bought, and they had to vote on what they were going to get and not get, and it was ridiculous. It took up just amounts of time that was it was just stupid just go out and get it you need it get it you don't have to have a a vote a a meeting over this but when you have people who are led by God and there's one Holy Spirit and you have and this is why I'm really in favor of a multiple eldership where they're able to come together whatever they call them sometimes it can be deacons you know that can be confusing with the language that we have but you know especially we have English language now and uh, confusing, but I think the elders are the ones who, who are ruling and, and they are also the ones who, who can teach. They're available to teach. They're the ones who help lead in the church. Well, if they have the same Holy Spirit and they have the same Word of God on the, the big decisions on things that are very important should be able to come to a conclusion. They should be able to pray together and should be like-minded. And so therefore, they are the ones that make the decision. You don't have to do a majority vote I've said this before, but I can't imagine a church operating on a 52 to 48% vote. I mean, where's the agreement at? Where's the like-mindedness? Where's the oneness at that Ephesians is talking about uh, in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Um, and then he gives the, the triune God. You know, On things that really matter, I, I think they uh, should be able to get together and discuss it pray over it and look at the Word of God and then come up with a 100% effort, uh, you know, in, in that sense. And uh, that's I, I think the majority rule is the democracy that the world uses, that the United States uses in its government, but I don't think there's any place for it in the church. Uh, and the reason why, and, and, and I'm saying that all the people in the church should be able to be available to help, to, get, to give input. But... Um, Look in Philippians 1, 120, uh, 127. Hey, before I forget, yeah, Is it Poiman? Uh, Poiman, yeah. Oh, was it? For, yeah. and, and that was in John 21. That's in John Each 21. time, feed my sheep, tend my lambs and yeah. such. Yeah. So there we Poiman. go. There we go. Different English words, but it still came up with that one Greek word. Thanks, Zach. 
of Philippians 1.27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or not absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's Paul writing to the Philippians, um, being worthy of the gospel. That sounds like our Ephesians passage, about walking worthy. And then the oneness that they are to have, one spirit, one mind, um, striving together, and so that that is, and the gifts here that are in Ephesians are all based upon oneness, isn't it? All this one body. Chapter two, verse two: Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, thinking the same way. <laughs> and even if there are some disagreements, well, we're Christians here; we can hammer this out. Let's beat this out, and uh, let's just don't fake it, or let's don't just have uh, flying arguments at each other, but it's, you know, there's, uh, if we have this Holy Spirit, I really believe we can come to the, the same conclusion. I think that's what Paul addresses all over the, the passages there. So, uh, that's one thing. It's uh, overseeing the affairs, and these when the elders come together, they, they're, uh, they're in one accord. Uh, I think the biggest thing that uh, the uh, pastor or elder or what have you does is preach and teach. It, it all revolves around that. We saw that earlier in 5.17 of Timothy. To, uh, to rule, to those who rule well, um, with also the Word and, and doctrine. Uh, teaching and preaching. Uh, they are to exhort. Uh, go, go to Titus. Pastoral letter there. Titus. That means to uh, come alongside. Really encourage him. Sometimes very vociferously, maybe. <laughs> Titus one seven says, "For a bishop, there's our episcopos. That earlier was in verse five. The elder must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not self-tempered, and given nor given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast." the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. If it comes up to even individual matters. He's, he's always to use the word of God in, in all the things that he does. That's, uh, that's the focus. That's the whole idea. That's the way it is for all of us. Though, I mean, but Above all, a pastor has to have that at his very focus. Go to 2 Corinthians 8, 17. There he's talking about uh, Titus in verse 16. For he not only accepted the exhortation, he was exhorted, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. He was exhorted to to go to them, this uh, Pastor Titus. Um, another thing that elders are to do, I keep uh, interchanging those words. Hey, Dennis. Yeah. Uh, just as a side note, I happen to notice in that Second Corinthians in verse 18, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. 
Ah. So there's your evangelism. Was that uh, was that Titus? Titus That's Titus himself. So he was famous. There's one that I've overlooked. He was famous for preaching the gospel. Or it says, with him we are sending the brother who is famous. With him. With Titus. So there was another individual we don't even know. And he was famous. And he's coming to Corinth. <laughs> yeah. No name, famous. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really, we don't know who he is, but they sure did, evidently. Yeah, we're gonna meet those guys. We have eternity to run into those kind of guys that never knew. <laughs> Five fourteen of James. Anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So there, there's uh, the elder there that he is to come and, and pray. Um, that could be spiritually sick or it could be physically sick, I guess. And when they need some, when they get to the point of saying, "Hey, I be praying for me," you know, sometimes it's good to to just pray with uh, individuals. Uh, they shepherd. We, uh, I think we read the uh, the Peter passage. Did we, I think we did the. Uh, Acts 20, did we do that? I think we did, didn't we? Acts 20, 28. Not 28 to 30, right? Yeah, we did. 28 to 30. 28 to 30? Yeah, that was the... Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, okay, Bob... uh, No, no, you were... We've gone through a lot of verses, haven't we? Yeah, verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Here's what's going to happen. (laughs) Not sparing the flock. Flock, notice. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So, from among your own self, from among your own self, from among your own exactly, right out of them. Yeah. This is. That's why the Koreans were of more noble character. <laughs> well, that's right. Hey, listen, uh, this is happening today in a big way. You can't substitute. Oh. You have got to look for yourself. Well, I understand Oprah Winfrey has a religion going now that is bigger than anything has ever mounted before. She's uh, has has anybody heard of this? You've heard of her her New Age thoughts, and of course she calls herself a Christian, but Christ is not the only way. And I think people are, I don't know if it's how they're joining or what what it is, but it's uh, the numbers are in. Multiples of thousands that are following her. I, I know her TV show, and everybody knows about that. But evidently, she has this this one religion on. So you've heard something about it. I think I heard it on bot radio on the news today. Fascinating. This is supposed to be her last year on her show. I understand. That's one more year. So I have to wonder: is she going to devote a lot of her time now into her? Religion she has? 
Mm. People are really falling for that, though. Yeah, Chuck Swindoll mentioned her, too, on his program this morning. Maybe that's where I heard it. I heard it a couple of times. <laughs> if you listen to Bob Radio, hey, you can hear everything there. Huh? <laughs> okay. Acts 14. Here's where I was saying, I believe in a multiple eldership. I'm not saying it's always going to be able to be done. But according to New Testament, it says in Acts 14.23, So when they had appointed elders in every church... Now, you could read that, I guess. Um, You have an elder in this church, and then you have an elder over in this church. But as we look at other passages, it's talking about more than one elder who's ruling... They prayed with fasting, and they commanded them to the Lord in whom they believed. Uh, so anyway, they went around. They they came back around, strengthening the new converts, and they helped appoint elders or pastors or bishops in those churches. And so they support them, and they uh, they get some uh, leadership going. Go to Acts twenty seventeen, and we we were just there. We're crossing quite a bit on some of these, but 2017, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. It's not, he called for the elder, but he called for the elders of the church. So this keeps one man from ruling the roost. (laughs) It's a good thing. It's a a real good thing. Uh, And I've known uh, churches who broke out of that mold like you know, I don't want to run down the Baptist, but um, they have one pastor, usually. Sometimes there's senior pastors, associate pastors. But usually it's one pastor, and then the other guys are the deacons. But the deacons are really what I would consider to be the ones who have the rule. Sometimes I have to wonder if they rule over the pastor. And I hear a lot of pastors getting kicked out if they don't go along with what they tell them to do. Make sure that you keep your message under 20 minutes, and we'll do just fine. Make sure you you don't preach Calvinism here. We'll do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I mean, I could, you know, oh, man, could I tell you stories after stories, and I'm not going to do it. But... Uh, that just that just goes on and on. I, you could hear you could hear one pastor story after another, heartbreaking stories. Guys who've come out of seminary and they had, I mean, older guys who came out of seminary. We're not talking a young buck, 24 years old. We're talking guys that were 40, 50, 60 years old going into a church after they've come out of seminary, and they have a very loving heart, and they come in teaching the Bible, and they are gone within a month. They're kicked out of that church because they were preaching the Bible. And uh, I've I've heard one story after another. Yeah, that's sad, but see, that's those those are deacons that have the power play. Well, they didn't go and teach and teach and rule. Yeah, yeah. Some of you know know what I'm talking about, but I I you know you look you look at this, so you see that this this eldership men who are godly and, and led by God's word. Um, that's that's quite a gift that God has given. So when we take it all the way back to the apostles, we have the revealed Word of God that's been given to us. 
Um, you go to apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, that's you know, the good news coming out, all the way to the pastor, teacher. God gives those so that we all can be equipped. And of course, that's, that's how it goes into line. My, it's after 8 o'clock. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I went to a lot of verses there, and I probably didn't need to, but it's kind of good to go over all those. Um, here's the idea. The church is gifted. Each one of us is gifted. But we fall short. We are lacking. And that's where it gets into that word equipped. It means that something is broken or and needs to be put back together. Uh, or it means uh, a supply is lacking. We are all lacking. Each individual is lacking. And really, when you really get to the gist of this passage we're in Ephesians, it's talking about the whole body. We, um, we need a, the ministry of the saints. The pastor equips the saints. The saints then go out and edify the body of Christ. Of course, they're evangelists too. But the goal is the whole, that it would be edified, that it would be built up, not just the parts, but the whole body until the unity of the faith. <laughs> so the ultimate. Anyway, sorry uh, that we didn't get any further tonight. You know, we only have probably five more Monday nights left for this fall session. Yeah, for this year. And so, uh, I don't know if we're going to finish chapter four. Uh, I don't know about this gift section. It's, uh, it's I don't know where time goes. You guys know where time went? We must have started at a quarter till. Is that what the deal was? <laughs> Thank you guys for making it an enjoyable evening. That's uh, good. And uh, this, is, this is about the church. It's about us, isn't it? But it's all about God. The great shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for uh, Your Word. Thank You for helping us to understand a little bit more about what uh, Your gifts are, uh, these gifted men that we've had long before us and now up to our time, and all the valuable teachers and preachers we have learned from, from tapes and CDs and radio and uh, the church especially, and uh, all the Bible studies we've all been involved with all throughout the years. You've used all these different men and, and uh, people to help um, bring us to what your truth is all about. And it's an amazing thing, Lord. You could have just taught each of us individually and not ever had to depend on anybody. But that's not the way you designed it. You have designed for every part in the body to help out the other parts. And, oh, to get a handle on that, if people would understand how important the church is, it is so vital. And so we thank you for your word and your spirit and that we can function in this body that would glorify your son's name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming out. I don't know where this evening went. I really don't.